everybody. Welcome to the PR Masters podcast series. I'm Mark Stevens, your host for our 29th PR Masters podcast, and my day job is managing partner of the Stevens Group, a leading facilitator of mergers and acquisitions in the PR and digital interactive space. The PR Masters podcast series features interviews with some of the living legends in our profession, individuals who have made a mark in the world of public relations. These individuals are open and candid about how they see their contributions to the practice and the reputation of public relations. And we usually share an entertaining and hopefully an informative 45 minutes with you, our listeners. Today's guest is somebody that I have known professionally for a number of years. He is Michael Lasky. And Michael is a partner of the New York City law firm Davis and Gilbert. Michael is founder and chair of the firm's public relations law practice group, the only practice group in the country devoted to meeting the legal needs of public relations and marketing communications firms. The practice includes attorneys with deep experience and legal expertise that are needed to run a successful firm. Employment, executive benefits, intellectual property, new media and marketing law, corporate M&A, real estate, and litigation. Wow, a lot of subjects that old-timers like me never even knew about back in the day. Michael Lasky is proud to represent many of the fastest-growing independent public relations firms, and he and his colleagues work closely with their clients to design strategies, programs, and agreements to enhance profitability and growth. He prides himself on his ability to counsel clients to help them achieve their business objectives and implement best practices in legal and risk management. He's also the co-chair of Davis and Gilbert's litigation department, where he devotes a significant portion of his practice to advising executives and owners of service sector companies on their employment, shareholder, and incentive compensation arrangements and disputes, and the movement of talent between competitive organizations. So, Michael, with all of that as background, I would like to welcome you as an old friend and a, a professional colleague to the PR Masters Series podcast. How are you today? I'm great, Art. Thank you very much. It's nice to be with you. Good. So I'm going to start right in, Michael. I'm going to ask you a series of questions about the work you do and the pioneering niche that you have carved out to be of value to public relations and marketing organizations throughout the country and probably throughout the world. So, Michael, uh, let me start by asking you, what made you decide to concentrate so much of your legal practice on meeting the needs of the public relations industry? And did you spot a need before the rest of us did? Uh, maybe so, and perhaps I should have been an investor too. But uh, all kidding aside, the um, the – desire to do work in this area was a combination of what I call serendipity and design. Um, you know, the, the firm, Davis and Gilbert, has a very proud heritage. It literally uh, goes back to its formation in 1906. And given that we're in a bit of a one of many crises right now, it's uh, noteworthy that we, I'd like to say that we were representing old media when it was new media. And in the Great Depression in the 30s, we structured the deal for the first advertiser-created broadcasting program 
which is a radio soap, uh, soap opera uh, for Procter & Gamble. So we've been synonymous with the monetization of the message in whatever medium that has the medium of, of the day, of the moment. Uh, but when I joined the firm, which was in 1984, um, the firm had a very well robust and well-known advertising law practice. But back then, um, any other advertising was king and all the other, what we now refer to as marketing communications disciplines were below the line businesses. And I really looked at what we were good at, which was people, uh, businesses whose key assets were people and ideas, and thought that a, in classic business school terms, a logical line extension to what, where we could add value would be in public relations firms. That was, if you will, the design part. The, um, the serendipity part was uh, back in 1984, the firm had two public relations firm clients, and both of which were owned by advertising agencies. Hill & Knowlton was owned by J. Walter Thompson. This is before the formation and acquisition by WPP. And an investor uh, relations firm Doremus was owned by BBDO um, before the formation of Omnicom. And I had done work uh, with both of those public relations firms and got to know them and understand their needs and really thought that um, much of what we were very good at um, could be applied to this sector, which was not getting enough attention in my, in my estimation. And of course, there was a very specific difference between advertising and public relations, and of course, there still is. Those, those people that grew up in advertising agencies knew that in order to get their work product on the air, in those days that was broadcast television, um, they had to be attentive to the accuracy of that which uh, was being aired and that there was substantiation for the claims being made. In 1984, most folks coming up from the public relations discipline had backgrounds in writing and journalism, and they were not nearly as aware of the fact that their work was also commercial speech and also needed to be substantiated. So I really... Um, use the, the work I did for the two public relations firms to get to know the industry. And um, one of my clients at the time, someone, Art, that you might remember, was um, active in the agency management section of the Public Relations Society of America. He invited me to speak at the national conference with some truly living legends at the time. I think I was a mere still a young upstart. And... Um, from that national conference uh, on ethics in public relations, growing out of a case that we had handled together in 1986, when I assure you nobody was talking about ethics in public relations, that that led to many invitations to speak at the agency management section of the Public Relations Society of America, the uh, Counselors Academy, which you know well. So 
perhaps a long explanation, but the, the key ingredients were serendipity and design. Well, well, you know, Michael, you and I met back in probably the mid to late 80s around that time period when I was on the executive committee of the Counselors Academy, and I had uh, re recently, uh, I had recently up to that point, uh, formed an, an ethics committee because of certain goings-on, you know, in the agency world. Uh, one agency kind of quote-unquote stealing accounts from another agency, and um, it, it was high time that some ethics were called into play. And I think that's when I met you. You became uh, somewhat active in the Counselors Academy as well as PRSA itself, uh, and you began to give various, you know, lectures on the, not only ethics but uh, the legal parameters of running agencies. So my question to you is what made you decide to concentrate so much of your legal practice on meeting the needs of the public relations agency? Well, I a lot of answers to that question. I mean, one thing I think is I really responded well to the craft. Um, I actually myself um, uh, had done a lot of writing, uh, both creative writing and what the business now calls content creation and storytelling. I think I was doing it uh, for most of my secondary school and college and law school life. Uh, I also actually, my third year of law school, I was the editor-in-chief of my law review, and I was responsible for publishing a 1,200-page scholarly journal, um, which was published in six uh, issues during the course of the year, which was a extraordinary undertaking. So you know, wordsmithing and the craft of content was something that just resonated with me. Uh, I, I also believe that, um, as I said earlier, that, that um, it was really a discipline that was uh, in need of attention. It was in need of um, a best practices approach to how its needs were different than the advertising agencies, and I decided to um, use the talents of my colleagues and myself to really understand the industry. Uh, and that's a big part of it. I believe that um, you know, the best legal services don't exist in a vacuum. And in order for um, a, uh, the work of a lawyer to be as effective um, and practical, uh, as as possible to to meet the needs of a client in a situation that the agreement or the advice has a business context. And if you don't know the industry or the business, it's really hard to get to the best possible outcome and the most sound judgment and advice. So um, given that I the craft, you know, appealed to me, and given that I thought it was underrepresented as a discipline, I thought those two things made for a powerful combination to spend um, a good amount of my legal talents devoted to understanding the business and then working in it. You know, you, you and your uh, law firm, Davis and Gilbert, you've transformed, literally, the policies and practices of public relations agencies. You have truly opened all of our eyes on business and legal ramifications to what we do, from employee and client contracts to mergers and acquisitions. Um, fast forwarding to the present, 
What, what changes have you see, seen in these areas of this year, both pre-COVID and post-COVID, that are of note and that might shape the future of PR? There are very, very few agencies out there who don't know your name, Michael, and the name of your firm. How did you go about cultivating this marketplace? Well, let's start with what changes you have seen in these areas and then go to uh, how you went about cultivating the marketplace. Well, the changes are as as substantial as every aspect of a firm's business. You know, there's a quote that I think about a lot, which is from a um, – former U.S. Supreme Court Justice Felix Frankfurter. And basically the quote is that law responds to the felt needs of society. Well, if you think about it, we're now uh, not just in a healthcare crisis, but we're also in an economic crisis and we're in a social justice and equality crisis, the a trifecta of of concerns that make perhaps the recession of 2008 and maybe even things of, of other dimension like a cakewalk compared to where we are now. But if you think about it, the running of, of a public relations firm, you know, um, involves what I like to refer to as a, a three-legged stool. One is the relations of the firm to its employees the second being its relations with its clients, and the third are the issues associated with running any business, whether publicly traded or privately held. Well, when you have those kinds of grand slam of crises hit in close proximity, such that it doesn't feel like it's June 15th, but maybe the 105th day of March, uh, as we have this conversation today. Um, everything has been transformed by where we find ourselves. For example, on the employee piece, there have been a unprecedented level of new laws affecting the workplace. Um, the first paid federal sick time law. It, many state laws now on requirements for what's reimbursable for remote employees. We've had an Americans with Disabilities Act for some time, but what is a reasonable accommodation in light of the circumstance when any number of people either because of age or pre-existing conditions, are deemed vulnerable employees, um, let alone just employees that are fearful of getting back on mass transit or the like. So everything about the employee relationship has, trained, has changed in light of the current environment. That, that is actually just dealing with the healthcare crisis, let alone you know, what it means to employers who are leaning in to issues of social equality and, you know, economic upheaval. So it's about, frankly, even on that first leg of the stool, the relations with employees 
um, being attentive to um, both the changing legal landscape and requirements and frankly also working really hard to help business owners um, work with their employees in constructive ways to further the work of the agency and their clients. Wow, you know, gosh, it's really interesting to, to learn, you know, that there are legal uh, uh, parameters and considerations that go along with the uh, COVID uh, virus and that uh, agency principles, you know, need to learn what they are and how to, how to address them. Um, Michael, I've attended, I've attended many of your presentations, and you've always had the uh, uh, opportunity to shed light on how agency owners can better protect themselves legally. Um, do you have a few key tips that agencies can keep in mind when trying to stay up to date on legal changes? And how do you keep up with laws, regulations, precedents, and caseload to always be current? Well... Um, we'll start, we'll start with the I tips. Do. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think the tip is, frankly, make sure you're getting your your best practices and news from the right source. You know, um, the good news is everything is public. The bad news is everything is public, and we all have limited time. So, <laughs> um, uh, you know, what I what I try to do for our clients is basically wear their hat, walk in their shoes, and think about if I were the owner of the firm or senior management of the firm or a practice leader of the firm, what are the things that I would need in terms of um, keeping current? So um, the, those are different for different kinds of firms, and it's different for the firm that's specializing in public affairs versus the firm that's doing um, – uh, travel and tourism, um, but I think one thing is just frankly trying to work backwards from what you think is keeping your clients up at night, and um, you know the the art of counseling. Um, you know, somewhere along the way, um, the practice of law used to be regarded as even on people's lawyers' business cards, it said, it used to say, attorneys and counselors at law. And that was representing the two different disciplines of, if you will, working on a big case or a big lease or a big transaction, the attorney, and then the art of counseling. Well, somewhere along the way, to quote Gilbert and Sullivan in the building of a major modern law firm, um, the art of counseling um, became uh, regarded as either not as important or less profitable or both. Uh, that's the anathema of Davis and Gilbert. For most of our clients, we are first and foremost their legal counselor and try to think about things that advance the client's business proactively and not just, you know, reactive to cleaning up a problem after it's um, occurred. That's a different mindset, but, um, you know, so a, a practical tip is uh, really kind of thinking ahead, looking through the turn, so to speak, 
And, um, you know, in addition to solving a problem, you know, we try to, uh, when we work with clients, try to understand the root cause of why the problem occurred, because history does not necessarily repeat itself, but it does rhyme. So what I mean by that is, yeah. you know, there, there are, whether there's a dispute with a client under, uh, you know, an unpaid series of invoices or an indemnity, you can solve that one problem and then think your work is done. Or you can frankly say, well, let's look backwards here. Why did this occur? What do we have to change in the contract to give the agency more leverage when, you know, the agency receives a third-party subpoena in connection with some work it did so it doesn't um, hit the P&L of the agency but is covered by the indemnity in the client contract. I could give you 20 examples like that, and that's probably without a second thought, but it's a different way of thinking. It's a thinking about proactive problem solving as opposed to reactive you know, cleaning up a problem and then moving on to the next piece of work as an isolated transaction. So when you when you started working with more and more public relations agencies, Michael, uh, and as you began to see the issues and problems and opportunities uh, awaiting you, um, was there any one or two uh, major issues that were kind of more prevalent than any others that PR agency principals were facing, you know, either as their business continued to grow or as the world changed? Were there any any uh, um, common denominator uh, issues that you began to see that, that the principals had? Well, um, I don't think it falls into one category, but I can certainly give you a few examples on on the employee side of the equation. I'm fond of saying that economics drive behavior. Um, so making sure that agencies have the right incentive compensation arrangements that drive the correct behavior is really, you know, one critical fact and something that can be done well or not at all or in, in, a, in, in, a, in a way without consistency or follow-through. And so, you know, I, I, I see recurring issues there. You know, one interesting um, piece of data uh, on that is that every year um, for the last several years, going back probably about eight years, uh, one of my partners and myself through the um, now called Provoked Media, then called the Homes Report, basically put out a survey of industry to CEOs, CFOs, CEOs of public relations firms, and then I would each year analyze the survey results and look at trends. And among the things that the data showed were, was firms that were um, growing top line and bottom line at various percentages. And there was a top group of firms, and again, these surveys came in on an anonymous basis, and I analyzed the results. I didn't get any confidential information from any you know, one survey respondent. I looked really hard to see what these very disparate firms had in common. And 
through through the miracles of data analysis, I tried to look at whether it was sector expertise or size or geography or privately held or publicly held or owned by private equity. And there was nothing that cross-correlated with um, mm. high-performing companies with two exceptions. For two years, the last two years, 92% of the firms that grew top line by 20% or more and had bottom line profits of, of increase year over year had a long-term incentive plan and or a contract equity program in place for their most important employees. So that's a, that, you know, intuitively, I always knew that. But it was actually nice after, uh, you know, giving these practical tips to clients for many years to actually have, you know, data of 106 or 110 different firms to back up that data, that, that, that anecdote. So that's just one example in, um, I'd say, uh, one recurring trend I see in, in the employment area of something of critical importance. In the in the um, second leg of the stool, so to speak, in the client dimension, I mean, there are there are many from frankly making sure you have the right uh, agency client agreement uh, templates, and certainly that's now more important than ever. With so much of the work being put on pause, I saw that trend starting in about Jan early January. And um, even before firms were looking at exactly what their cancellation policies were and the force majeure provisions for either uh, work with their client or or productions they were doing on, on on behalf of their clients, you know, if you will, driving defensively on how you handle those contracts before the problem occurs, but by, by bringing a best practice approach to the business is really pretty critical. You know, the, the third leg of the stool, certainly, and the issues associated with running um, any service sector business are things I, I would imagine that, you know, the one practical tip I would say is run your business as if you were going to be buying it so that even if you never choose to sell all or part of it, your firm will be that much, you know, healthier by virtue of the process. And um, I've seen that, you know, pay off in dividends for many of the clients we work with. Well, Michael, as you well remember, I used to uh, be uh, CEO of a firm called Lopes and Stevens, uh, a, an independent firm that at one point was among the top 25 independents in, in the country before I sold my firm to a publicist. Um, and as CEO, uh, obviously, I was more interested in dealing with clients and creative and content and that kind of thing. But, of course, I had to deal with uh, the back office and admin uh, part of my job, which obviously included uh, contracts and uh, uh, employment agreements and client agreements and uh, professional liability insurance. And all I can tell you, you know, is that um, I was a novice in all of those areas, you know. And then along came, you know, Michael Lasky and Davis and Gilbert that began to uh, shed some professional light on what I had to do as, a, as an agency principal. Um, 
Was I one of many uh, agency principals who were relative novices, you know, in terms of how to legally uh, uh, protect myself and set up the right kinds of legal parameters to do so? Well, it's not where you start, but where you finish. So um, whether whether you start as a novice or not, um, there are many quick studies uh, among among uh, my clients. But truth be told, you know, I'm I believe that people should concentrate on what they're good at. And it's much more beneficial to an organization for an agency owner to spend her or his time on developing new business, keeping growing existing clients, developing new clients, than deal with trying to negotiate contracts. So, um, yeah, that, that goes back to a little bit of our philosophy that, for many of our clients, we, on an as-needed basis, basically are an extension of themselves. We, we work almost as a outsourced internal counsel, and it's mm. very effective, I think, because a lot of our clients get a high level of expertise without the overhead that would come from having to have a lawyer on staff. And, of course, some of them don't have ongoing needs. It's situational, so it works well to free up the the agency owner or management team from what they do best. So, so given that, uh, Michael, what what uh, what PR agency practices have you focused on since the days before Michael Lasky? You know, consistent with the theme of, I think probably being proactive and enjoying the art of counsel uh, and counseling. You know, one thing that we've really worked. It came. I think naturally in part of our DNA to work with clients um, to meet their goals. And it's a very customized approach because you could have two uh, exactly similarly situated, at least on paper, agency owners, but they might want very different things from when they exit their business to whether there's an encore chapter, whether they want to be part of something bigger, whether they want to, grow themselves something bigger. So a number of years ago, after working with clients to to build value, my team and I developed something called the um, value, and it was designed to help public relations and other marketing communications firms um, on their own watch and in their own time understand the value of what they had created to that point and then give them some tips on ways to enhance their value uh, under whatever time frame they were working within, short-term, medium-term, long-term. In other words, before you even contemplate whether or not you want to move to a bigger house or put your house on the market, maybe it's time to think what the price might look like if you spent some money redoing your kitchen. If I can for a moment perhaps use that uh, very uh, hopefully very accessible kind of analogy. And uh, we've done that for many years and then not had an organized approach to it. And I, one of the transactions that we were involved in was released to the press on a given day that I happened to have a lunch appointment with a client. I was really pumped up because it was a really great arrangement for everybody and uh, one that's had an enormous, fabulous life 
post earnout multiple times over. And I apologize for being a minute or two late to my client. And I said, well, you read about the X transaction. We were involved in that. We were having a celebration in my office. And I described the process by which we worked with this client for about 18 months to essentially do what needed to be done to get the company to a point that it was um, even more attractive and to the absolute perfect you know, buyer. And my client, who was the well-known owner of a, of a public relations firm, being the good uh, communications professional he was, he said, wow, that sounds so interesting. Do you have anything written on that? And truth be told is I didn't. Uh, but I went back to my office that day and decided to write it down to actually put on paper what we were doing naturally for many years. So um, I hope that in part answers your question about you know, a, a program that I'm particularly proud of. It, it does. It does. Thank you. Um, I'd like to focus now uh, on your take on PR agencies themselves. Obviously, you have developed a close working relationship with probably more public relations agencies in, in the country and the world than probably anybody, given what you do and what uh, Davis and Gilbert does. Um, what are you seeing in uh, public relations agencies uh, today? How are they changing and uh, where are they headed? My goodness. Um, well, I think that's um, you know that's a, a more complex question even in the last fifteen, sixteen days than it was. Mm, yeah. Just a little bit time before that, um, you know, they're they're headed to really pretty interesting places. I think I think um, I see an enormous amount of marketing activity leading. Um, for and by purpose. Uh, that may also be good for profit, but uh, there's been a lot of talk for many years about purpose in uh, marketing activity, and now purpose is, is certainly um, an important part of what many firms are doing, um, especially in this environment. Um, similarly, a lot of firms are putting their you know, basically business concerns of their clients ahead of brand activity. Um, uh, those, those are things that I think are winning the hearts and minds of the various stakeholders that the public relations firm is trying to um, uh, uh, develop authentic relationships with. I think one of the things that I really see um, that's very positive is that Many of the public relations firms that I work with are incredibly creative in problem solving. They are, I mean, I think the current crisis or crises allows, you know, smart and savvy firms to think differently for their clients and use new techniques, especially in digital and content, to create value for their clients. And What's interesting about that is they're doing it not just um, for their clients, they're also doing it for their own firms. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not quite sure which of them comes first, but they both feed on each other. I could give you lots of examples about that even in the last week. I mean, one thing about the current environment is, you know, a week seems like a month and a half ago, 
and a month ago seems like last year. You know, so things are actually moving very quickly, but I see many of the smart and savvy public relations firms having what um, Ernst & Young called a transformative mindset to really think um, out of the proverbial box and um, you know, focus not just on weathering the storm, but on resilience. Uh, and uh, the leading firms are balancing recovery with you know, thinking hard about what comes next in their planning and for renewal and renaissance after our trifecta of crises. And that's you know, a lot of reimagining and transforming. And that's that's very healthy. I mean, it's uh, and it's encouraging to see that. So, you know, by way of example, Taylor's work and the PR Council's work with um, uh, historic colleges and now with the uh, Negro Legal Defense Fund. Um, there's another uh, public relations firm I work with um, that brought together four firms and a um, VC firm that does a lot of work in min with minority-owned businesses to help fund minority-owned businesses. And basically these four firms um, spearhead, uh, spearheaded by um, the firm source code, basically committed to donating in-kind communication services of X dollars for a year um, for deserving firms through a evaluation process in minority-owned businesses and communities. And um, that's the kind of exciting thing that helps their firm, that helps the communities, that helps the, the world at large. And, you know, I think the public relations firms are doing a lot in that area uh, and in all of those areas. And actually, to do our part, we in developing this program, we're uh, Davis and Gilbert is going to provide some pro bono legal work to the selected black-owned businesses um, that are chosen oh, from this terrific. process. That's terrific. That's really terrific. Um, you've seen the industry grow, as, as I have too, over the last number of years. Would you ever have thought that a public relations firm would would reach the level of uh, almost a billion dollars in, in in fees as Edelman has done? Did you ever think the industry would get that large? You know, um, yeah, it's the theater of the possible. So, you know, I don't tend to think about limits. I, you know, um, so uh, no reason why not, I suppose, is what I'd have to say to that. Um, yeah, I mean, they're very complex organizations, and even running a firm that's $30 million or $50 million or $100 million or $20 million or $10 million is not – it's more challenging than frankly ever. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, even the employee communications and leading through the kinds of crises that we are now in is uh, itself, uh, if not a full-time job, a job that requires an awful lot of listening um, um, and as much ground, you know, um, input from the ground up as opposed to you know, leadership from the top down, that tends not to work in this environment. So, Michael, where, where are the best public relations agencies headed today? Uh, will there, will there uh, be continuing consolidation, or do you see new independent firms sprouting up more and more? 
Well, both. Um, um, you know, we issued a – we being um, uh, my team and I at Davis & Gilbert uh, every year issue an extensive uh, annual public relations M&A report, and we issued um, our 2019 report uh, in early April covering a bit of the early 10 weeks or so of 2020. And certainly the you know, crises that we're all experiencing have put a pause on a lot of M&A activity. But, you know, if, if other um, recessions and economic um, periods of, of upheaval are any measure, uh, there clearly will be um, some pent-up demands on both sides of the aisle, so to speak. The um, entrepreneurs looking to find a, a platform to leverage off what they've built and buyers that want to partner with those kinds of entrepreneurs. Um, notice I didn't say sellers because it's really a different kind of mindset than I think the smart money is at these days. So, um, you know, that is certainly one thing that will come out of this. I also think coming out of this, there will be some firms that will, frankly, rethink how um, concentrated they may have been in one sector, such that their business yeah, was yeah. a little too vulnerable to, you know, um, individual, um, you know, market conditions. So uh, I think there'll be a, the pendulum towards a bit more diversification um, might swing a little bit back back in the other direction from what, where it's been in the last few years. I do think with a massive amount of layoffs that have occurred you know, recently, there will be some seedlings, so to speak, and some new firms that um, are spring up from you know this this very trying time. Um, so, you know, all of the above. Well, you know, given that I, you know, as you know, I'm a player in mergers and acquisitions, and I, I agree with you completely about diversification. I'm seeing that among uh, many firms currently uh, where they have to rethink their basic strategy and their vision about who they want to represent and how they can expand that, you know, to at least minimize the risk of future uh, pandemics or any other crises that come along. So a couple of final questions, Michael, and this is about you, you, you yourself personally. Uh, what, what, who are your heroes? What are the key pieces of, of advice that you received when you started out that stuck with you? Uh, well, maybe I'll go to the um, I'll go to the second question first. You know, key pieces of advice. Um, spend more time listening than you do talking. Uh, I think that's actually not something that most people in my profession do. And it, again, comes mm -hmm. from a place from, from um, not because I don't have what to say, but um, every kind of legal issue, the right answer is all about the um, situation in which the, and the business context in which that problem arises. And, you know, it, the classic cases when, you know, the, the, the client, you know, sends the email for advice and it has a quarter of the facts, let alone the, the business context and leverage points in whatever negotiation is at issue. So I put listening high on the list. 
you know, the, the second piece of advice, I'm not quite sure if someone gave this to me or if I just learned it over the years, which is uh, that consistency and persistency or being persistent um, are uh, underrated values, you know, uh, particularly in a time when most people have the attention span uh, that doesn't correlate with a lot of things that being done in a consistent and persistent way. Um, I think those are certainly things that I would, uh, pieces of advice that I would give to um, anyone uh, in, in business, um, uh, whether on the legal side or in running a business. Um, mentors, um, boy, that's, uh, or well, here, heroes. Heroes. Well, you know, I don't, I'm not much into heroes because, uh, Heroes all have some kind of imperfections. I think no hero is perfect. Um, <laughs> certainly, I've had a lot of mentors over the year. Maybe some of them have my heroes. I mean, one um, was the former dean of my law school, and um, he was a tremendous man named uh, Dean Willard Heckel. He literally um, um, uh, led the city of Newark. Um, through the and quieting the race riots um, in the mid-60s. He was uh, a voice of trust and reason um, to all the various parts of the community. Uh, and um, uh, I think he had a significant effect on um, how I work with people and my practice, um, including some of the pro bono work I do. Um, uh, another early, I think, mentor was the president of my university. I went to Rutgers College and Rutgers Law School, and the president of my uh, of the university was actually a very early um, feminist. He was a uh, man of um, you know remarkable talent. He was a First Amendment scholar, uh, but he also was way ahead of his time on women in in every profession imaginable, including, you know, how he approached his marriage. And um, I learned a lot. His name was Ed Blaustein, and I uh, had the privilege of knowing him very well and um, taking small courses with him when I was in school. And I think he taught me a lot, both professionally and personally, in how I approached my um, work with all kinds of people. My final question to you, Michael, and uh, and I thank you for your wonderful insight into the world you live in and the, the the extremely valuable services you provide for public relations uh, agencies throughout the world. My final question is, how do you, how would you like to be remembered, Michael? Um, I trust I you will be around for many years to come. <laughs> but how would you really like to be remembered? I really don't like. I really don't like this living legend thing. I have to tell you that because I, I you know, I, I like to think of myself as a young upstart unless uh, and until I look into the mirror, but that's a different subject. Um, you know, how would I like to be remembered? You know, someone whose, whose most precious commodities were his judgment and the trust that people held in his word. Beautifully said, beautifully said. Well, Michael Lasky, on behalf of our listeners, I really thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your views with us. It, it was, it's been a pleasure being with you and getting to know um, more about you and your views about the world we live in, public relations.
My pleasure, Art. And I'd like to thank all of you. Thank you, Michael. And I'd like to thank all of you for tuning in to another of the Stevens Group PR Masters podcast series. So until next time, I'm Art Stevens, wishing you all the very best.